Welcome to Big Tech News. My name is Emil Perlinski, and I want to talk about the news of the week. I haven't done one of these in a while. We are recording this for SpaceCast, so if you want to listen to the whole thing, or if you miss a part of it, or you want to drop off early, search for SpaceCast in your favorite podcast app, and we'll get started. I have Kyle Wiggers with me today. Kyle, why don't you introduce yourself and say what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on again. Like Emil said, I'm Kyle Wiggers. I'm an AI correspondent at VentureBeat. Principally write about AI, but in, in past lives, I've covered consumer electronics too, which is good because there was a lot on that front this week, which we're going to get into shortly. You know, Google had some news to share with some press, a little preview of their devices that are coming this fall. So yeah, that's among the many items we'll, we'll touch on, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so so let's let's dive in right away to the Pixel Six. So they unveiled it, even though they didn't launch it. That's the Pixel Six and the Pixel Six Pro. You know, a smaller and a lar- slightly larger phone. The Six has a 6.4-inch screen at 90 hertz, and the Six Pro has a 6.7-inch display at 120 hertz, and I believe it has 4 4x optical zoom, slightly a better camera, and I think they have telephoto in there. No pricing, no other real specs released. But that wasn't the highlight. I mean, obviously people care about the actual phones, but the the highlight is that Google has developed, as the rumors have been talking about for months, if not years now, Google has its own system on a chip, which means that Google is very much following what Apple, as well as Samsung and Huawei, have done in you know developing their own chips for phones. Uh, and this is their first one. I believe they have, I mean, they've made other chips for their phones, to be clear. But this is their first you know, chip that's supposed to power a bunch of stuff on the phone. Uh, so it's called Tensor. And that's, a, that's a, a callback to their Tensor processing unit that they use for their data centers. And, and really, I feel like, Kyle, you can tell us a lot more about this since you are the AI guy. Because that's what the, the chip is really going to be all about. So I'm curious, your thoughts, really? Yeah, so like you mentioned, Google has made custom chips for their phones before. They made the Pixel Visual Core, but that debuted with the, hmm, I think it was the Pixel 4, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it was the Pixel 3, but they they did away with that because, or no, maybe that (laughs) wasn't, I'm going to have to do my research. But the important thing about the Tensor chip is that it's an SoC, it's not a single core, and it, you know, Google really talked this up. Rick Osterloh, their head of hardware, was was telling publications like The Verge that the things this chip are, is going to be able to do is like take a blurry photo. You know, say somebody is out of focus in a, in a photo and do some clever like upscaling and object recognition and facial recognition and enhance the image such that that out of focus person is no longer no longer blurry. Another thing that apparently reportedly was shown off to some outlets was like real time captioning, which, you know, it's nothing novel. You can do that with consumer electronics today, those with dedicated like AI accelerator chips and those without. But apparently it was like a little more accurate and faster or so it seemed than a lot of available solutions today. And uh, yeah, what's exciting about this? I mean, those, you know, those those are really interesting use cases. But what's exciting about it to me is. This seems like a platform that Google's going to continue to build on. I mean, we all remember maybe that Google promised a feature in Google Photos that would allow you to remove, or I mean, it would automatically 
restore pieces of obscured imagery. And, and in a photo of a fence, for example, supposedly you'd be able to uh, remove a portion of fence and see what's behind it. That, that was promised at Google I.O. in like 2017, never debuted. But I feel like this chip could actually make those things a reality, at least if it delivers on the promises that were made this week. It's hard to say for sure, though. I mean, it, it was kind of a weird media briefing from what I've gathered. People weren't allowed to take photos of the device, of, of, of either Pixel. The demos were pretty staged, you know, and, and, and curated. It seems like Google was just trying to get ahead of the rumor cycle, as far as I can tell, and then just, you know, start to tease things. But, you know, it is, again, exciting if, if a lot of this makes it its way to reality. And I think we'll have to continue. We'll have to see how it evolves over time, kind of like how, uh, you know, Project Soli has evolved over time on the Pixel 4. Yeah, but this is this is a much bigger deal, right? Like, this is not just an addition. This is supposed to, like, power the whole pixel ecosystem right presumably they're going to bring these chips this chip to other other devices maybe some nests maybe some the pixel the, the often rumored pixel watch but one thing you mentioned that so the the tensor it powers uh live captioning which pixels already have but apparently the difference there is that it, it can also do live translation so not only does it caption but also translates in real time i think that's kind of a an attempt to demonstrate how powerful it is, right? Because this is all happening on device. And real-time translation is something that Google has talked about and promised, but presumably Tensor makes that smoother and actually possible. Yeah, that's true. And I'm glad you mentioned that because there was also like leaked screenshots of redesigned Google Translate this week that emerged. So presumably that's going to be a big focus on the Pixel. The, the next Pixel series, I'm sure Google's going to heavily emphasize the real-time translation capabilities made possible by Tensor. And, and like you said, you know, this is just, these are launch devices for Tensor. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure we will see other Google devices with the same SOC because for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that I that I didn't mention at the top is supposedly it, it enables more sophisticated security features as well. I don't think Google went into detail with any publication on that, but yeah, I um, couldn't, I know I couldn't tell if that was like something that Tensor and another chip will enable because they kind of like hinted it at the end of their blog post, but they didn't actually specify like this is what Tensor does clear on that but yeah i agree with you that the way they roll this out is odd and definitely definitely one of the motivations was to kill leaks because the pixels are are leaked probably more than any other smartphone in terms of how in advance they're leaked i mean even the pixel 5a has been leaked repeatedly and there was yet another leak this week so now we know it's coming this month and so they're i think that that's one of the reasons they tried to avoid or, or tried to do why they kind of announced this so early before actually debuting it but I think the main motivation is to talk about Tensor because they know that once the Pixel 6 is available and, you know, there's pricing, that's all people are going to talk about, right? Or the, the, most people, obviously, the hardcore tech press is going to want to know about how the chip performs and so on. But most of the coverage will just focus on, you know, how big is the screen, how much it costs, and, you know, how, how it compares against spec for spec against iPhone and Samsung phones. And then... You know, they're, they're basically, they're worried that that, I feel like that that's going to happen as it happens with every Pixel phone and then Pixel gets no market share. Uh, so I think they really wanted to play up the Tensor aspect, but they couldn't do that by without actually showing the phone. So they kind of tried to do both, if that makes sense. Like they wanted to 
show it so that no leaks can happen, but then they want to just focus on the on the chip and what it can do. Do you think they will be able to do more than just those demos they showed? Like, are there going to be more features? They seem to suggest so, but I'm curious, like, are those the main things, like real-time object detection for the camera, HDR and videos, just just better, basically a better camera, better speech recognition, and then, you know, some security stuff, and then anything that Pixels already do AI-wise, you know, better, stronger, faster. But I'm curious if there are other use cases that they just haven't shared with us. Yeah, I mean, like, it could make some things faster that currently require, some things that require, like, server-side processing faster. I'm thinking of, like, style transfer, although I think there there might be, like, some app that does on-device style transfer for photos. You know, like, um, I guess in the natural language processing domain, yeah, things like translation beyond that. I don't know, maybe, like, it could be faster OCR, too. I expect like a lot on the photo front, actually, and maybe video as well, like maybe just like better stabilizing videos. There's like cool, there's really cool work in the computer vision domain regarding like or or touching on like 3D photos, quote unquote, right? Maybe you've seen those on Facebook, like you take a single photo and then like this neural net generates alternative views. So you can like look around people in the photo, um, you know, even though like uh, you, you just took a uh, single image from a single perspective. Maybe like that'll be possible on device and on, on future or current, soon to be current pixel devices. And it won't require sending an image to, you know, Google's cloud for, for post-processing. Yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, like the possibilities are pretty um, endless. <laughs> Sam, we don't really know the exact capabilities of this thing. So, you know, we'll have to do, we'll have to wait for the benchmarks to come back and, and see what what is within the realm of possibility, but I, I think it's really cool. I think uh, this is the pixel that Google's wanted to make for a long time, and they've just not had the hardware pieces together. Like, you know, it's, the teams have not been unified. They've been, you know, incorporating um, HTC engineers into the operation, and there, there have just been so many moving pieces that have gotten in their way. But, you know, you look at this thing, it's really a premium device. It's QHD uh, plus display, 120 uh, hertz refresh rate, like, you know, just even beyond, uh, for the pro, <laughs> even beyond the Tensor chip, you know, it looks like they're, they're really gunning for, like you said, the iPhones and smartphone world, like, and it's probably going to be priced appropriately, uh, you know, obviously a thousand plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll have to see where exactly they they end the price point. I'm wondering, they didn't mention it, I don't think, to anyone, but um, I'm wondering if the supply is going to be kind of tight given the worldwide chip shortage, and maybe that'll also play a price a factor in the price. But, you know, that that's a question that hasn't been answered, so maybe they'll they'll be more candid about it in the future, one, one would hope. Yeah, so, I mean, the Pixel 5a has reportedly been impacted by the shortage. I believe it's, or the rumors anyway, are that it's only launching in maybe two countries, and maybe they'll expand it from there. But certainly, you know, fewer countries than past pixels. You know, Google claims that they want to, you know, push this pretty hard. So the Pixel 6, you know, I think the bar for them is to basically do, well, the bars were low. They want to get more market share than they have right now, which is like, you know, less than 1%, or certainly less than 1% in the States. So I think that they're going to, they can beat that bar if they put enough marketing money behind it. But yeah, your point is correct. I think uh, it would be, it would be pretty nasty if what happened is that the shortage ended up screwing them over. But th- this has to do well for them because 
it, you know, this, this is a big bad, but putting all the money that it requires to build your own SOC, like tensor has to pay off. Of course they can just, you know, say, you know, they can blame the chip shortage and try again with the seven and the seven pro. And then the eight, it usually takes a few rounds for, for things like this to, to pick up. But this is this is not just the six Google phone, right? Like they had the whole Nexus line before. Like they've been struggling with this. So, you know, I think I think what's been nice with the pixels that they've been doing these pixel drops. So it's like uh, I think they're quarterly, and they add a fair amount of interesting features. If they can keep that going with the Pixel Six and really unlock more and more unique, interesting features with Tensor, that will kind of keep them in the news and potentially help, especially if they put the money behind marketing that they claim or that we've seen suggestions that they'll do. I think on their, their last earnings call, Alphabet's last earnings call, they warned that they're going to be spending a lot more marketing dollars this holiday season. And everyone thinks that that's most likely for the Pixel. I mean, I guess that could mean like Google Cloud <laughs> enterprise ads, but I'm pretty sure that means the Pixel, given that it's tied to the holiday season. So, I mean... I, I think Google's really gunning for it, but I'm uh, hedging that statement because we've heard that before, right? Google really gunned for it with the first Pixel. This was their, that was, you know, their huge, real Google phone. Forget the Nexus, look at the Pixel. And then they did it again with, you know, five more models. <laughs> and here we are on number six. So, yeah, I mean, I'm happy because more competition in smartphones even if it's even if it's the failure of the pixel is is still good and for you know to google's credit they do add features that no one else has so i think it'll be good overall even if, if even if you know if the pixel only manages to get a few more market share points yeah yeah and you know google's really going all in here i think yeah, the one rumor was, and they didn't confirm or deny this, but that the the six series will get like five years of Android updates. Like, you know, they're 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 doing everything they can to make it competitive uh, with the best uh, available. I, I see this as like, you know, I think the Pixel starting with the next. I mean, the Nexus line was really a developer oriented series of devices. I think it's fair to say, and the early Pixels were too, but now it seems like Google successfully made the transition to, or they're trying to make the transition. To to like a, a truly consumer-oriented smartphone, and I, you know, that's that's great. It's been a long journey for them, so um, you know, happy to see it. But like you say, the stakes are kind of high if this one doesn't meet expectations sales-wise. That that would be problematic. I mean, it mean it, it would mean a shift in strategy maybe for them. I mean, I know they're targeting the budget market with things like the A series lineup, right? The the upcoming Pixel 5A, but you know, maybe maybe they would, re, you know try to go all in on that instead of like you know shooting for the stars with this high priced these high priced devices it's it's unclear but we'll have to um see how it plays out i mean so that's that's what seemed to have happened last generation right the pixel 5 almost looked like a paired back not a high-end smartphone it's it almost seemed like a mid-tier like obviously higher end than the 5 or than the 4a and the 5a but it it seemed like they were pulling back. So this is, I mean, it's like basically it's like they have a new strategy every year with the pixel, right? They they kind of reinvent the wheel every time because nothing's working. So you know now they have their own SOC. Maybe that'll kickstart things. Uh, it, you know, AI on phones is interesting, but it's not like make or break 
you know, the, the, there's no killer feature yet that people are like, oh my god, I have to have this phone because if because no other phone has that specific feature. Things like live captioning and better speech recognition and you know a faster Google system are, are are neat, but they're not like, oh my god, you know, I'm ditching Samsung or I'm ditching Apple for a Pixel. Hence, you know, hence Google's market share in the smartphone space. I mean, I hope they have something up their sleeve that that will blow people's socks off. But realistically, they're just going to keep releasing these pixel drops and you know some some of those features will will be really cool to some people and it's a low bar for them to to hop over so maybe they can finally do it yeah and i mean you know not for nothing like there are certain like server side features made you know provided by google developed by google that are only available on pixel devices like you know that google assistant feature that that waits on the phone for you you know when, when you start to hear the whole music you can have the assistant wait and then let you know when like some a human is available to talk to you when you when you call customer support somewhere that doesn't come to any other devices like there are the, all these pixel drops they're they're whether they're like they they involve on device processing or, or cloud you know server processing like you know google's trying to make the argument that like um it's an ecosystem you're not just buying hardware so you know, I think they made that argument pretty successfully. And honestly, like, I, there's a lot of compelling stuff there for me personally, even, you know, not as a tech geek. Like, I, I think they, they really, especially in the AI side, put their expertise to, to good use. So, yeah, I think if any, you know, if any phone is going to uh, put, put Google in a good position, good market, give them, you know, more market share than it has in the past, these are, these are going to be the phones. We'll have to see for sure once the reviews come out, but things are looking good so far. Yeah. Excited about this phone or these two phones, which, yeah, <laughs> I'm rarely excited about new phones nowadays, unless they, they fold. Not that I've ever had bought a folding phone, but I think that's that's an interesting space, which we'll we'll hear more about that next week because Samsung has its event. Although Evan Blass, who's on this call, has has leaked it also. We know it's coming, but supposedly. yeah, yeah, I, that that's interesting too, right? Because clearly they could have they could have released they could have you know pushed the Tensor to a foldable Pixel, like they could have not released a phone with their own SOC until it was foldable and kind of tied those two together. But maybe they don't think foldables are quite there yet because obviously Google's has like any company like Apple, Google has, you know, a bunch of prototypes for, for, for various foldable technologies. So clearly they've decided to, to, to delay that or at least not, not launch it yet. Interesting that they're pushing tensor on, on, on your standard smartphone. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So other Google news this week, or Alphabet news, I should say, they updated their Nest lineup. I don't know if you saw that. They're cheaper <laughs> and redesigned slightly. Yeah. Obviously, those leaked as well. <laughs> but th- this time, Google leaked them. So, um, you know, <laughs> they couldn't have done much there other than <laughs> lock down their store better. I think it was interesting that Google promised to replace your Nest uh, camera or door- doorbell if it gets stolen. 
So that's that's that'll be interesting. I'm sure people will try to test out that support claim, although they have the words if you qualify in there <laughs> because I'm sure they want to hedge what what exactly they have to or how many how many free nests they have to give away. There is some small YouTube news um, testing some non-ad versions of YouTube Premium, and Spotify is also testing like a cheaper tier. I don't know if you have any thoughts on either of those stories. They were kind of small, but I I included them because it, those are the most notable things for Google this week. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's hard for me personally to care. It's my bias about like a smart home devices, Nest devices, given that I live in New York City. So, <laughs> I mean, I think they're, you know, worthwhile price cuts. I mean, notable price cuts, I guess. And then uh, this replacement program sounds like a good idea. Maybe they want like a police report. And that's what they're talking about when they say like qualified customers. Perhaps they need like some some documentation that proves these things were actually stolen. And you're not just like taking a picture of, you know, screws in the wall and, and, and trying to trying to lie your way into a free device. But uh, the premium light plan is uh, compelling. I, I recently switched from YouTube music to um, Spotify and, and you know, I, I had the all-inclusive plan or the all-encompassing plan that also remove ads from YouTube, you know, give you like, what, what are some of the other features like background play, right? You can listen to like uh, YouTube videos in, in the background when you switch to another app on a mobile device. Offline downloads as well. Yeah, offline downloads as well. Although so um, kind, of, kind of useless during the pandemic, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like we're, I mean, most folks aren't like regularly traveling um, via plane right now. But once we do again, you know, that'll be useful. But I, I, YouTube has so many ads. I didn't realize like, you know, losing that subscription really opened my eyes. Like not just display ads too, like ads within the app, ads on the desktop interface. So, you know, I would happily pay this reduced price just to get rid of those. You know, I try to, you know, I, I don't love to use ad blocking extensions just because they can be a performance hit. And also, like, you know, I do want to support, like, publishers especially and, and not uh, take away ad revenue from anyone. But, yeah, I, this, I, I hope it's expanded widely. I'm, I'm sure they're just, you know, testing this in a few markets to see how it's received. But I would you know, like I said, happily uh, get on board with this. If it includes other features as well, that's great. But if it's just ads, then, you know, I, that's fine too. Oh, yeah, so I, I had YouTube Premium as well, and I also lost it recently. And I was reminded how how, my, how, my, how they've increased the ads to the point where uh, not only do they play before a video you watch, they play during, and they also play after, even if you've turned off autoplay. So if you, you watch a video and then you don't have autoplay on so there's not a second video that'll play right after it'll just play an ad so i find that infuriating because i'm like watching a i don't know like an exercise video and i'm following along and then i'm holding the exercise and then the video finishes but there's just an ad <laughs> that's in my ears or right beside me so and you know if you if you link that to alphabet's earnings uh, a few weeks ago where youtube doubled its revenue i believe doubled its revenue don't quote me on that but youtube revenue is is going up like crazy lately ever since alphabet broke it out or broke out youtube as a severed light item and this is why really right? <laughs> those two things are very much related that youtube is making more money because they've significantly increased the ads they're confident enough that people won't leave them despite all their ads and if you want to get rid of them and keep using youtube you have you have youtube premium or this premium light subscription that they're testing so it all ties together and it's all 
<laughs> it's all big tech making more money. Yeah, I just I just checked out, you know, curiosity. And according to this report from Hypebot, uh, YouTube ad revenue in, in Q2 this year was $7 billion. Uh, that was up 84%. Uh, Almost double. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, uh, that's a lot of money. I mean, they have infrastructure costs to cover, but um, still, I don't think anyone at Alphabet is disappointed to see the uptick. So, Yeah. All right. So moving on to... Microsoft. So similar to how Google kind of, you know, teased the Pixel 6s without actually properly debuting them, Panos Panay teased a bunch of Windows 11 fe- or two Windows 11 features. I don't know if you saw this because he just tweeted about them and they didn't really get that much pickup, but still a little bit. One is called Focus Sessions, which is at first glance kind of looks like a gimmick, but I actually think if I can remember to use it, it's really cool. It basically uses the Pomodoro time management technique, which lets you set basically break up whatever you want to be productive with on your computer into tasks and into chunks, with, and it'll give you short breaks. And it in the in the video that he tweeted, it showed Spotify integration, which is really interesting because you know Microsoft doesn't offer its own music streaming service anymore. So I, I honestly think I would use that. Like, that makes me actually want Windows 11. He also teased a, a redesigned snipping tool, which, you know, cool. that They're working on making screenshot taking better or look better. But, yeah, neither of those are even available to Windows Insider, so we can't try them out. Yeah, so did I see that? So, like, do you know, do you know much about the Spotify integration with, you know, this new focus session? Yeah, well, they, that's the thing is there's only a tweet, so people, kind of, people are just kind of speculating. I don't know if it's, so it's the clock app on Windows, and then there's, like, that the, the, the app that's shown is the clock app, and then within that there's, like, a task section and a Spotify section. It's not clear if it's only Spotify or if you can swap in, like, you know, Windows Media Player or any other media app. Or if it's just Spotify, yeah, yeah. There's there's no details yet, but Spotify will work apparently. So I guess if you have a Spotify account, you can just have, you know pick some music to link it, and then that'll play accordingly to based on how you break up your tasks. And again, the, the video doesn't really show it, but I presume everything else on your computer stops working, so you can't distract yourself with you know Twitter or or anything else, or like watch YouTube. So if you've dedicated 30 minutes to doing something, all you can do is do that thing and listen to music presumably that's how i would imagine it works but no one you know we don't have it yet yeah yeah of course i think it's cool that like windows is getting this native feature i mean there are a lot of apps out there third-party apps that do this but you know for for those who haven't tried this technique or you know want an easier way a native uh, a simple straightforward way to 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 try to you know remain focused on a single task with the help of software like uh, this will be good um I'm just, you know, very curious to see how this music service integration works. And if it's only Spotify, that'll be uh, a little disappointing. But as you say, like, there's so little information available right now, just that screenshot to go on. So, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll we'll get more information about that as, as time goes on. Yeah, the other Windows news was, so last month, Microsoft announced Windows 365, which is their, like, cloud version or rather being able to use windows 10 or windows 11 in a web browser so that this week they had actually rolled out and is available there's pricing so pricing is wildly all over the place it can go anywhere from 20 20 bucks per user per month to 162 
dollars per user per month. So that's live now. And apparently Microsoft has free trials and there was so much demand that Microsoft had to pause the free trials, which I, I don't know if that means they didn't properly, you know, provision enough capacity on their cloud or if the people actually are actually really excited to to try this. That's you know, that's gonna change how I suspect a lot of people or a lot of businesses anyway interact with Windows and you know how they purchase it and and pay for it as a subscription even more even more as a subscription because so much of Microsoft business is subscriptions. I wonder if they'll ever ever bring Windows 365 to consumers because you know running Windows 11 uh, anywhere you have a browser could be pretty useful. Yeah, I agree. It just seems like, I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about the pricing of it? Like, it seems a little steep to me. Uh, Yeah, I think it's very steep, but it is for businesses, right? So for them, it's like, instead of buying, you know, our workforce, a bunch of computers, hey, do you already have a tablet at home or a computer? Like, depending on what your job is, here, you know, we'll, we'll pay this fee and just upgrade you. So even if they have, for example, like a ton of businesses that are still running Windows 7 or Windows 8, mainly Windows 7. I mean, some are even still running XP. But in theory, some of those devices could be, quote unquote, upgraded to this until those devices are actually, you know, thrown out and no longer required. So I kind of see it as a security win. Like a lot of businesses will be like, yeah, let's let's move these people over to this until we actually have to upgrade these devices. And yeah, I mean that adds up. That monthly fee, whether it's twenty bucks or a hundred bucks, adds up. But it, it is it is certainly cheaper than buying a bunch of new computers, which I suspect is what's going to happen here. A bunch of companies will just opt to use this, and then otherwise, also you know, people also have their own like new employees often have their own devices. So this is another way to get around that, right? Like, oh, you don't have a work laptop. We haven't given you one. Don't worry. We could just sign in here, and you're you're good to go. <laughs> so it could be used as a cost saving uh, from that end as well. Yeah, you make you definitely make good points about that. Just you know, to provide listeners some context, I you know pulled up the pricing just so don't misspeak here. So like it's thirty one dollars a month for a virtual PC with two two CPUs. Well, I mean, I, I'm reading from this Verge article. I imagine they mean two, two processor cores, four gigabytes of RAM, and 128 gigabytes of storage. So, you know, you do the math on that. It's like in a year, it'll cost roughly like $400. I, I guess that, you know, that is a lot cheaper than a MacBook Pro. Um, not clear if they're going to be like volume discounts on this. This article says that, you know, that price is intended for businesses businesses with like 300 or fewer employees but it's it's competitive with like what citrix offers and you know like aws so yeah i mean it probably like from a managerial standpoint it's definitely more secure or one would assume so and and that's less like locking down of each you know pc that you have to do i mean like just re-imaging there are a lot of you know to your point of meal like repetitive um, monotonous and time-consuming things that you have to worry about when you are uh, managing all these different computers uh, that you have to hand out to employees new and existing. So, yeah, maybe a lot of businesses will decide that they just want to dispense with all that, you know, fork up 
fork over this fee and 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 you know just live life more carefree so i'm excited to see you know to try it for myself certainly i don't know if you were were, were was anybody could anybody sign up for a free trial and and give it a test run or was it did you have to have some sort of business account or i think i think you might already have to pay for microsoft 365 as a business uh, like I, i'm guessing they put some sort of limitations on it because otherwise you know, we'd have tons. Of, we'd be watching tons of videos about it. People trying it out. So yeah, I haven't tried it, but but yeah, I mean, prov- think think provisioning, right? Your your work laptop breaks or it's not working properly. You know, the IT department can just send you a new laptop and you just log in to your existing account. You don't have they don't have to set you up or anything because it's all all in the cloud. That's you know, I mean, that idea is not new, and <laughs> there's been talk of being able to log in anywhere and access your Windows desktop. But this 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 is even more. I mean, this is this is real now. We'll see how how it's adopted and how well it works. But I think that's that's certainly it makes sense why Microsoft is is pushing this. If anything, it's, I'm surprised it took took them this long. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know if you've uh, if you've tried things like Parsec, you know, Mail, some of the other like streaming solution, desktop streaming solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they exist, but this is this is different, right? This is presumably for businesses it's super secure and and provided by microsoft so it's it's a little different than literally just streaming your 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 existing bc of course you can you know streaming streaming your computer to another computer has existed but this in theory you don't have to teach someone how to do it right they just go to a website and log in and off they go they don't have to set anything up themselves which if again if it works as 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 they say could be a huge Huge win for, I would imagine, for the majority of, of a, a business workforce, right? There's de- definitely going to be uh, a lot of people that want, you know, to be able to work offline and actually need a lot more power on the computer. But for your average worker that's, you know, working on the browser or in, in Word, like this covers the basis for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I just brought it up because um, in the past, like I've I've set up a virtual desktop on like um, a random cloud provider, you know, AWS or something, and then streamed it via Parsec to a range of things, like you know, even an Amazon Fire TV uh, stick, <laughs> and it's worked really well. So you know, imagine being able to do that, um, assuming like all the uh, security requirements were met. As an employee, you know, at one of these businesses uh, who choose to subscribe, that would be a great convenience, and it really doesn't feel like you're giving up much. Like latency is is lower than you would expect. And obviously this is backed by Azure. So, you know, I would assume like Microsoft has done a lot of, a lot of fine tuning behind the scenes to make sure the experience is as good as it can be. Yeah. The last thing from Microsoft news, they announced a super duper secure mode for edge. And that's, that's really the name. I won't get into it too much, but it's, you know, you can read about it. I mean, it is actually cool what they're doing. We'll see how well it works, though. They, they they basically claim that it can turn off some optimizations and the performance won't suffer too much, but it'll be way more secure. So we'll see how that goes. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The last thing that I really want to talk about, 
and we don't have too much time here because I'd like to stick to an hour, although we did have a late start. So I don't know if you saw this Apple photo scanning system they're going to be rolling out in a few months across iOS, iPadOS, watchOS, macOS. It's, it's, I think it's quite a big deal, and I'm really curious to see if they end up backpedaling on this or changing it a bit. The purpose is to, there's, there's two goals they're trying to address here. They want to be able to find any child abuse images on your devices or in your iCloud and report that to the police. And so they're going to check that against a database and basically just con- constantly be scanning your devices and your, and your iCloud photos against a database to see if any of the images you, you have in your account, child abuse. And then the other thing that they're doing is they're scanning all images that are sent and received by children to detect nudity. And then if they do detect nudity, nudity using machine learning, they will alert the parents of those children. So this is presumably like a parental feature that you have to turn on or part of the parental features that iOS has for parents monitoring their kids. Did you see this news? It's, it's kind of wild that, that Apple is doing this because it goes against a lot of the privacy promises they make. Yeah, I mean, they really did emphasize that. To correct me if I'm wrong, I know the messenger, I mean messages, sorry, messages model, neural net that's um, doing like the, the identifying, ma- I mean, matching of these images, or I mean, you know, detecting nudity, potential nudity and like image attachments is on device. I think both models are on device though. So, you know, I guess it, it's sort of in keeping with what Apple has tried to do in the past where, you know, it's not like they're gaining access to people's phones in any way in order to, like, in this case, protect the children, quote unquote. But it is, it does feel, I mean, I have mixed, I have mixed feelings on it, honestly. I mean, I think the mission isn't wrong necessarily, but it feels invasive, sort of, because, you know, like, this is, this is message processing that's happening without your consent necessarily you know and maybe maybe if it was presented as an option as opposed to you know sort of like a default like that would be better well, um, it was yeah. an option then it, then it wouldn't work it wouldn't catch the bad guys right like so so to be clear i don't well, think i was anyone... talking about the... oh for yeah the... sorry I, I was talking about the messages feature specifically yeah for the, for the for the nudity yeah if you get if you get sent a nude or if you send a nude if a kid sends a nude yeah i think that will be i believe that will be optional because you know you have to tell apple that you're you're a, a, a child and, the, you know, he hears your parents' account and they have to be linked. Uh, that's my understanding. The, the details around this are, are very odd because there was a bunch of reporting and then Apple confirmed some of it and released their own document. And so there's a lot of, I think a lot will still come out over the next few days. But yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, as a child, I guess you have fewer rights in Apple's eyes, hence, hence these parental features. And for the other feature, I mean, I don't think anyone is against you know, scanning for child abuse in images. But the the larger concern here is that if they're scanning for this, what else are they scanning for that they haven't said? Or what else can they scan for? Because the technology exists and Apple is planning to release it, which means, you know, if Apple decides that, you know, adult nudity is no longer cool, for example, maybe they'll start, you know, flagging that or warning, you know, warning that, hey, an image that you sent actually ended up on another device, and it's not all just on the device you sent it to. Like, they can do a lot here. And even if you believe Apple and you subscribe to Apple's, you know, 
privacy marketing message and think that they know exactly know what's best for you and you're 100% down for everything that they do, because Apple has the technology now, they could be compelled by governments, right? Apple acts very, very different in, for example, China than it does in North America. So, you know, if they're scanning for for images against a child abuse database, what's stopping them from scanning against a database of, you know, activists, images of activists or certain certain imagery, you know, that a specific government doesn't like, you know, like, I don't know, tian, like pictures of, of tank men in Tiananmen Square, that type of stuff. If you have that on your device in China, what if Apple flags that to the Chinese government? That's not, that's no longer a crazy idea like it was, you know, last week. Now it's very much something that Apple has the technology for, could roll out at any point, and could be forced to roll out. And that makes people really uneasy, I, I think. Oh, I mean, not just I think. That's, it has been ma- making people very uneasy this week, even though this feature, is, Apple says, is rolling out in a few months with all the new uh, OS updates. You know, rolling out or, or preserving your privacy in the sense that, like, no data is being, I mean, the data isn't happening server side, but maybe they would be used for problematic things <laughs> in some people's eyes. We really can't say it's, but, you know, I, I guess when you buy into an ecosystem, it almost comes with the territory. So but it's it's another thing for the end user to consider when they're smartphone shopping. <laughs> like, you know, would they be okay with Apple potentially expanding uh, this into new domains that they might or might not agree with. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's amazing what's possible today with technology. I have to say, like, from from a technical perspective, this is like you know impressive. It's unclear how the the what the one model is doing exactly, and and what I'm uh, referring to is the model um, not running in messages, but the one that um, looks for content on device. And you know, uh, there was one expert. Maybe this is explained in the documentation, but there's one expert by the register who said, like, uh, you know, it's. You know, it's unclear if this algorithm is just like looking for exact matches or if it's, you know, kind of like doing fuzzy matching. You know, questions are unresolved there. But, you know, it's just like philosophically, this might be new territory for Apple. And, you know, it does it does feel scary. And we'll have to watch this closely and, and see what else Apple decides to do with this technological prowess that they have. Yeah, this is this is definitely uncharted territory for Apple. I mean, it goes in many ways, it goes very much against what they claim that they do on your device. And yeah, I mean, Facebook, specifically the WhatsApp lead, has already taken this as an opportunity to criticize Apple. And that's, you know, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this for the next few weeks until it's rolled out. And even after, there's going to be a lot of criticism. And like I said at the top, I'm really curious if Apple will pair this back a bit. I mean, what happens if if Apple's, you know, algorithm inevitably, given the size of Apple's, you know, the number of devices that Apple has out there, what happens when this algorithm flags something incorrectly, right? Like if it flags that you have a, a child abuse image on your device and calls the cops on you, like what, what are the repercussions? Is that, does Apple take some of the, does t- Apple take the blame? Will they, will they post your bail? Like, for example, and what happens conversely, if I can picture situations where a parent has to, wants to talk to their child about an image, you know, a nude image that's on their device that iOS flagged and the kid, you know, wasn't even aware they received the image or it wasn't, it wasn't a nude image. It's just a false flag. But it's just going to lead to 
weird situations that Apple doesn't get itself into, right? Apple just wholesale bans things like it does, you know, on its app store so it can avoid situations like this. But in terms of your actual content that you create or receive or send, it doesn't do anything with that, right? It doesn't, or at least it claims not to, right? That's kind of Apple's pitch is that, you know, if you use your email service on your phone, that's between you and the email service. Apple has nothing to do with that. So this is a weird situation where they're, you know, they they claim everything's still encrypted and everything, and Apple is not taking a look at itself, or an Apple employee is not taking a look to see if an image is inappropriate or child abuse or anything like that. But you know, some algorithms are doing it <laughs> that Apple designed and Apple built and Apple coded. So yeah, it's obviously why they're doing it. I, I get it, and uh, you know, this is important important stuff or at least the child abuses. I, I'm not so convinced of the other potential uses. Uh, but this is this is definitely a slippery slope. Uh, assuming it continues on in, in the in the way that they've described it and there aren't some clarifying details or they don't change it because again this is not available right now or they, they're not you are they at least are not using it right now. But they've built it and, and that's kind of the other problem. Like let's say Apple changes its mind tonight, tomorrow, next week. The fact they've signaled to the world this exists, like governments are going to be very much like, no, no, we know you have this. Please use it on, uh, you know, anytime you see, like, yeah, I could picture a government just saying anytime, anytime there's an image of someone brandishing a weapon or brandishing this insignia or this logo, like, let us know. Uh, and Apple can't say, oh, we don't have that kind of technology because everything's encrypted. They can very much be say, they can't say that anymore, right? <laughs> and Apple's, I don't know if, they properly weigh the pros and cons here of uh, what they might be forced to do, especially in in a, in a market like China, where they've very much given the government control over the content and the devices, right? I'm sure you've seen that report. I believe it was the Wall Street Journal that kind of laid out exactly what Apple does in China and how Apple doesn't even have the keys to um, the databases there and the Chinese government does. So <laughs> it's... Yeah. It, it's a it's a crazy situation that that they've they've put themselves in. At least that's my read on it. Right again, this is this is all early. We'll see how it exactly it plays out. But even if it, like I said, even if it plays out conservatively, it's going to be hard for Apple to backpedal the the larger system they've they've described. Yeah, and I thought you made a really good point about algorithmic bias. I mean, even within this narrow use case, it's not that they're not that narrow. I guess. But yeah, imagine like 0.00001% of photos are falsely flagged as, you know, potentially uh, matching that existing in a database. Um, you know, you know, my, like that's still how many Apple devices are sold every year? Like at, at Apple scale, that's that's a lot of false flags. So I, I hope they considered that. I mean, I know the, in the messages case. Like you as a child, you know, if you receive an attachment that might be offensive, like you have to click through a couple of prompts. So it's not like it, you know, automatically notifies your 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 parents immediately. You know, like uh, maybe they're hedging their bets there a little bit and they know there might be mistakes. But yeah, I mean, AI is not perfect. It's, it's susceptible to a lot of biases. Even when it is, you know, 99% accurate, that's still not good enough for something like this unless there is like some human in the loop piece that we haven't heard about yet so yeah that's that's an excellent point yeah I mean, so, so yeah like you're saying apple sell, sells hundreds 
let's say hundreds of millions of devices. I don't have the top exact number off the top of my head, but how many of those, like how many photos is that, right? How many billions of photos are created and sent around every week like that? That's, that's the real thing. It's not like they're doing, this is not a, basically every time an image is created or sent on an Apple device, that number is even <laughs> significantly higher. And every one of, every single time yeah, it could be, it could be a false positive that causes problems. Uh, so that's, yeah, that that could be a. I mean, Apple has has the money to make some of these problems go away, but that's that's a massive resource headache. Denton here has a question, so I'm going to let him up and see if he, uh, what he has to say. And I think we'll even end it here after this question, since it's been it's been about an hour. Let's see if this works, given that this crashed on us earlier. Hey, Denton, can you hear us? Hey, thanks. Thanks, Emil. Thanks, Kyle. My question was, and this has been a fascinating discussion. My question was, when we're interpreting why Apple is doing this, you know, it is a shift, as you all mentioned. The technology behind what they're doing doesn't seem that new to me. So I'm wondering if, if there's any sense that you all have of why now? Why are they rolling out this feature now? when it seems like they probably could have done this a year or two ago or, you know, even, even further out. Thank you. Well, I'll let Kyle explain the AI. I mean, we don't have the details, but maybe he can talk a little bit about the AI stuff. It's new in the sense that they're doing this, um, you know, while still every, everything is still encrypted. But I think the real progress that's been made is around image recognition and machine learning. So I suspect that they are comfortable with the accuracy that, you know, those false positives we were talking about would be, you know, as low as they can get it to be. Because, you know, just, just a few years ago, image recognition was terrible. Like AI couldn't tell the difference between a dog and a cat. Now it's, you know, getting better at that. And I mean, there are still definitely false positives, right? You can, you can definitely pick a, an image that's not nude. Like, I don't know, pick and uh, zoom in on like a, on your armpit that's with your arm folded down and it'll think it's something else, right? You can trick, you can still trick AI fairly easily, but it's way, way better than it was just a few years ago. That, so that's my suspicion is, uh, as why now they're, they're rolling out the, this photo scanning thing. I think my guess is they, they might be comfortable with the state of their algorithms. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair read. You know, to, to dive into the technology a bit, I, you know, I agree that it's not incredibly novel from what I can see. Apparently, at least according to the, the Register article, Apple, you know, did training on, you know, databases of, of backed up photos and iCloud. Um, and, you know, but again, the, the models are going to be deployed on device and, and operate on device. I guess first it's going to roll out the the models to, you know, detect photos in iCloud before going the on-device route. One important piece that I guess we didn't touch on is that alerts are going to be triggered only if um, multiple photos in a library match, you know, a database of child abuse images. So, like, you know, it's not the case in the messages. A use case with, with the messages model, it seems like just one photo you receive via a text that would be, I mean, an iMessage would be enough to, to trigger the prompts. But so, like, Apple is... You know, they're, they're, I guess they're not stupid. They, they realize that like AI makes mistakes. Still, you know, I'm not sure if it's enough. And, uh, you know, it, it does uh, set a scary precedent once again. 
you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I think there's going to be some pushback, but I'm not sure what effect that might have. Apple does what it wants for the most part. So, yeah, exactly. All right. We'll end it here for those who joined a bit later. A recording of this will be available on the uh, SpaceCast podcast. So you can add SpaceCast to your podcast app and it should go up there. I'll also tweet it, obviously, so you can listen to the whole thing. And uh, Kyle, anything that you want to plug? Uh, no, I mean, of course, stop by VentureBeat if you have a chance. <laughs> Read our great AI coverage. And otherwise, you know, have a good weekend all. Thanks again, Emil, for inviting me on to talk about the week in tech. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.